Right, this morning, this we morning continue we continue on our, on our series, series uh, which is uh, which titled, is What's, What's the Difference? The difference? Uh, and again, uh, and we're, again going we're going through the book of Second Peter, kind of taking a look at, uh, at the different ways uh, that we look at the world. Uh, for Christians, it's looking at uh, eternity that's anchored in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, versus uh, a mindset that is set on the temporary, that's set on things of the world and, and approaching life with that kind of focus and, and how that impacts the different choices that we make, the way that we face different things, uh, and so on. Last week we took a look uh, kind of at end times, uh, where again, uh, from the Christian worldview, there is a coming time. We, we long for Jesus to come back, uh, but with that we also recognize that it will be a, a time uh, of judgment, that God will also rescue his people. Uh, today we'll be getting uh, into Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, so you have your Bibles, your phones, you want to turn to that. Uh, we'll begin in verse 17 with the screens. Once the computer's done updating, uh, we'll get the screens turned back on, uh, and then we'll have it up on the screens as well. Uh, but please feel free to follow along on your devices, uh, within your Bibles, and the like. But uh, as we kind of get into that, uh, have you ever really taken the time uh, to look at uh, the discipline in your life? And it's something that as I was kind of thinking about this, you know, it's uh, 40 years old now, like, like what kind of discipline uh, do I actually kind of face anymore? Um, and I thought back to the time I worked at Target for like 10 different years, uh, and, and they didn't call it discipline at all. They called it coaching. You know, it made it more pleasant. Like you messed up with this and you need to stop or we're going to fire you, but we're going to coach you with this. Um, and then even when I was a manager there, uh, the training was to, to sandwich it, you know. So here's what you're doing great. Here's what you need to change or we're going to have to let you go. But again, I really like you. <laughs> and so I hope that you... St so even discipline in that sense is, is a bit different. But, but then starting to go back even farther. Like that's at a job and we get to understand that a little bit. But, but like coming back to like... What was your first experience uh, of discipline? Anybody willing to share? Like your first memory of discipline? Anybody? Over here. Okay. Okay. Or play with the ball in the house. So what was the consequence? Okay. He got the video games taken away? Sure. And you were younger, so what happened for you? Okay. You just didn't, couldn't play. So he had the, the stronger consequence then because he was older. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all kinds of different things. But that's the point that I'm kind of getting at is that when you're younger and you don't know as much as when you're older, the, the consequences tend to change with that. Uh, for me, the, the first thing, as I was trying to remember, what was the very first punishment that I ever had? Uh, and I remember my mom would make me sit in the corner. But it wasn't any corner. It was the dirty laundry corner. Right? And so here's the dirty laundry, and let's kind of push it out of the corner, and now you sit there. Um, and so, you know, sit there, kind of your nose in the corner, and have kind of a timeout during that. Uh, but obviously, as I grew up, uh, different things changed, much like your house was different for you and your brother. Um, I remember also very vividly a wooden spoon. Uh, yeah, anybody else with a wooden spoon? 
Okay, like this is a different day and age, but it was safe back then. Uh, anyways, this wooden spoon had a painted face on it too, with, with like a smile. And it would sit there, and you would never cook with it, but you knew what the spoon uh, was for. And then as I got older, uh, being grounded for months, you know, I, I, probably about a month ago, I shared a story about how me and a friend uh, snuck out. We told my parents we were heading to Appleton. Instead, we headed down uh, by Mostyn, and the car broke down, and I mean, we were grounded for months because of that one. Um, but then even going on, like different fines for breaking the law are commiserate with the crime or the fine for speeding five miles an hour uh, is different than the fine uh, for going 20 over uh, and so there's different areas of our life where we kind of see this taking place well this morning we'll be taking a look at scripture where this actually applies as well uh, to false teachers about three weeks ago, again, Jesse was here and kind of began this uh, conversation in uh, chapter 2, kind of at the beginning, where these false teachers came and they brought in destructive heresies. And they would cause many to follow after them. Uh, the truth is maligned. And so they're actually leading people after themselves uh, with these falsehoods. And as they're doing so, they're, they're actually causing the name of Christianity uh, to be maligned, to, to be put down, to say, well, that's old-fashioned, or it's wrong, or it's not with the times, and, and so on. And so many people begin to follow, uh, and then they would even exploit these people uh, in their greed and, and the way that that they would manipulate different things uh, for their own gain. In verse 13, it says that they'll be paid back for the harm that they have done. Uh, but we're going to take a deeper look at this again, beginning in verse 17. Uh, but before we read this, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we're grateful for your holy word. Uh, and I pray is that we look at this and examine this and uh, a warning uh, both to those who would be false teachers, but also a warning for ourselves uh, that, Father, we would not close our ears to these things, uh, but that we would allow your spirit uh, to work within us, that we would examine our hearts and our minds. Father, if there's areas where we continue in rebellion or resistance to your work within us, uh, that we would humble ourselves and repent. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would work within us as we abide in you, uh, and that we would have that confidence of you completing the work that you began. Father, I pray that you would guide us as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so again, talking about false teachers, uh, in verse 17, it says, These people are springs without water uh, and mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them, for by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce. With fleshly desires and debauchery, people have barely escaped from those who live in error. Uh, and so there's a few things within this. Uh, the first one is that they are um, misleading people who have escaped uh, from the world, have escaped from sin in a sense, have, have decided to live a life that is different with a, a perspective of trusting in Jesus Christ. And so here they're kind of escaping out of the world in the sense, uh, and then through these boastful, empty words, uh, these false teachers are then trying to grab those who, who are beginning to follow and commit to a life after Christ uh, by kind of redirecting them and, and changing them away from this. But in verse 17, it calls them springs without water and mists driven by a storm. All these two phrases are kind of like, what does this mean? 
until you put yourself kind of into the context of the listeners of this. Living in the Middle East, it was a, a dry and arid land. And so there, there were certain sources uh, of water. The, the wells were well known. We can think of Jacob's well. And okay, yeah, it's right over there. And so here in this sense of uh, a desire to make sure that there is a source uh, of water. Uh, and so the springs would have been noted and marked. And so here is a spring that's supposed to be there, but it's a spring without water. It's a promise of hope that actually has no substance and leaves people thirsty. Mist driven by a storm. A, a storm is something where rain would have been looked forward to, uh, but instead of actual rain, there would just be like a, a light misting that would happen. And it wouldn't be uh, enough in order to water the flocks or, or for the growth uh, of the agriculture. And so again, the, the dark clouds, a, a symbol of hope of, okay, here's water coming. Uh, as a promise that was unfulfilled, uh, and instead it was a, a light mist that was driven by wind. Uh, and so this is what Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, is calling these false teachers. They're offering hope. They're saying, yeah, there's a spring right here. Come, come and drink and find refreshment. And, and once you follow after that, you realize there's really no substance. There's nothing there. And so what are these boastful, empty promises that the false teachers were making? Oh, the beginning of that was shown in verse 1 of chapter 2, where it says that they even deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, right there is the foundational aspect of faith anchored in eternity and our only hope for salvation. That it's not anything that we can do in this life. That, that we cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn God's forgiveness. We cannot earn His love. But it's only through Christ coming down to earth, living a perfect life without sin, dying, being raised three days later, that paid for our sins and paved the way uh, for a relationship of restoration with God in righteousness. With Jesus Christ as Lord. Now you take that away, and then what do you have left? You have us trying to earn things. Or you have to try and construct different things in order to believe and guide our lives by if it's not anchored in Jesus Christ on the cross and Him raised from the dead. So they would deny this lordship, this need to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so this would begin a chain reaction that would deconstruct faith and then obedience to a holy God. If there is no Jesus who is Lord, or if God does not exist, then there's no coming day of judgment. If Jesus is not Lord, there's no day where every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. If, if there is no Jesus Christ as Lord, there, there is no white throne, at what point all of us will come to a point of account and give an account for our days on this earth. There's no day of judgment, and there's no sin to worry about. Because everything then is permissible. There's, there's no accountability. We can, we can do whatever we want in this life as long as it happens to mesh in with whatever society is okay with. Because that's where the only consequence is then. If there is no Jesus on the throne, the only consequence is, well, what are other people going to think about this? Uh, and society is going to change. We find the morality and the laws and the rules changing every decade. 
And so it's a constant flux at that point. But if, as long as you're able to kind of play along with others and, and do what's kind of uh, acceptable in society and, and maybe push the boundaries, because once you push the boundaries, like, then more and more becomes acceptable, then everything is fine because then you're not being held accountable by a holy God that expects obedience. So these false teachers were offering these empty teachings uh, of no consequences. People began to follow after Jesus Christ. To submit to Him as Lord and Savior. And these false teachers would come in and say, you know, there's really no judgment. And so why even bother changing your life? Why, why even bother fitting into this morality of framework from this supposed God? Live however you want. And so they would lead people away in order to follow after, it says, fleshly desires uh, and lusts. We see the same thing happening today. We see the same kind of teaching happening where even some people will claim that they have the support of Jesus. That, that if Jesus is love, then he'll understand. That if it's really hard for me, Jesus, Jesus will just understand. It'll be okay. I've even been in situations uh, as we've been working with uh, a husband and wife uh, and, and them saying to us, uh, we feel like God wants us to, to end our marriage. Okay, why, why do you feel that? <laughs> like, like based on Scripture, do you see that in Scripture anywhere? No. Uh, do, you, do you see that, that it actually says that God hates divorce and, and, and there's a very small area that it's even allowed for because of deep and gross sin. Yep, yeah, we, we see that. But, but then why are you looking at continuing down this path? Oh, we just feel like we can't do it anymore. And we think that he'll understand. But we just don't have the strength anymore. Jesus will understand because he's love. Even though they know that it's sin, that they accept that it's sin. It was something that they had been taught to say, well, we can willingly walk into it because Jesus will understand. It's a false teaching that begins a path to hell because it is a permission for disobedience and clear commandments. There is grace. There is forgiveness. But these false teachings will erase the accountability that we have. They will erase the, the day of judgment where we face Jesus Christ. And in doing so, it, it erases and takes away all of the warnings within Scripture, all of the commandments, and then even to the point where in John, uh, it says in, in John chapter 15, uh, if you, this is Jesus, he's saying, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But that itself is taken away if you take away the aspect uh, of judgment and facing God, where Christ is on the seat. We see this happen in other areas as well. Well, well God is love, right? And, and then that logic or the teaching then morphs into, well, God is love, and, and love is love. So then all love is acceptable to God because God is love. It's a demonic teaching that will lead people astray. 
Scripture explicitly lists that any sex outside of marriage, which is defined as one biological man and one biological woman, is sin. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus affirmed when he was on the earth. And so it is heretical and demonic teaching that would twist that, that would cause a a misleading, that we see our whole society blindly falling after just by the logic of a few words. Well, God is love and love is love, so therefore all love is love and therefore God is for all love. But it's completely against what's in Scripture from the beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, even when Jesus himself is teaching about marriage and he says a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife, which in the Greek language also means woman, and they will become one flesh. And anything outside that, any sexual intercourse outside that is sin. And yet we see so much teaching out there that will excuse it or or water it down to the point. In fact, some have gone so far as to adapt and change the translation of the Bible. There's a Bible out there that's called the Queen James Bible where it deletes every single passage that relates to homosexuality being a sin in any way. These false teachers are going to be held accountable for those that they mislead. They are going to be reserved for utter gloom is what Peter is saying within these passages. And we see that based on these false teachings, we find people that even stake their identities on the sin in their life. This, this is who I am, so how can you be against who I am? Well, we're just against sin. Because it separates you from God. And God is love and there is grace and mercy and forgiveness and He calls every one of us to, to crucify our flesh, to crucify our desires, to, to crucify our preferences, our likes, the, the things that we feel that we would want. We're all called, each one of us, as we submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to die to ourselves, regardless of what it is. And submit it to him that we love him we obey his commandments this is why again second peter in verse 17 it says these people are springs without water misdriven by a storm they're they're trying to offer a, a sense of hope but the hope that they're offering is yeah those things that you're kind of feeling within you you can follow those as much as you want because god will understand or there is no judgment But once they actually follow that, once they get there and find that it is empty, there is no water on the day of judgment, they'll sit there and see Jesus Christ and say, I thought it was okay. It doesn't matter. The promise was empty. That's why the gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. Continuing in verse 19, it says, They, or the false teachers, promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if having escaped from the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. So again, this false teaching, it's, it's a promise of freedom. It's a promise of it's less restriction. 
It's a promise of you can choose and follow your own path. Which again was the very first sin in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are like, we want from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We want the ability to discern. We want to make these choices. We can kind of cut God out of this process and we can figure it out for ourselves. This is the same freedom being promised by these false teachers that are saying, yeah, follow your heart. Be who you are, regardless of whether or not it's in rebellion to God. It's, it's a promise of freedom that is not true freedom because you're still enslaved to sin and death anchored on into eternity. It's a promise of freedom is actually a call to rebellion, to throw off the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's go start our own kingdom and live however we would like. That's freedom. But we will not win. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow to Him on the day of judgment. These false teachers create a subjective truth uh, and with that, a subjective freedom which leads back to being entangled in the world's impurity uh, and then defeated. And then in this defeat, you become slaves to whatever defeats them. Verse 22 or 21, it says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. This is primarily talking about the false teachers, uh, but in application or implication for others as well. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. Uh, these are some really descriptive verses here. Like, like how many dog owners are, are in the room right now? You know, have you experienced that where, where the dog has kind of like left something unpleasant? And you're like, oh, I, I got to get that. I got to clean that up. And as you go to get the supplies to clean it up and you turn around and the dog's going, no! And then they want to lick you. I love dogs. But this verse, it's graphic. Not one of us would want to return to our vomit. Maybe they're just trying to be helpful, you know. Like, I got this. You don't have to clean it up. But not one of us would return to our own vomit to bring it back within us. But this is a description of what's happening to those that would be ensnared by the world uh, again. Now, this passage, I'm going to say, is actually talking about those who have been saved. It's talking about people who have had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm saying this because of the language within this passage where it says, having known the way of righteousness. Now this word known in the Greek is epignosis. And again, if you remember at the beginning of this series, as we were in chapter 1, this word epignosis was in there and we talked about how it meant not just a knowing about God, but because of the root word gnosko, it also means uh, to have a relationship knowledge about God. That it's not just one or the other, but it's an experience uh, of both. So better for those who have not known to have a, a head knowledge and a heart relationship with the way of righteousness than after knowing to turn back 
we can actually see this in comparison to chapter 1 and how Peter, inspired by the Spirit, is actually contrasting the two. So again, in, in chapter 21, and, or verse 21 and 22 in chapter 2, uh, it's those that have known the way of righteousness uh, had turned back. Uh, after, in verse 20, they've escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge, again, epinosis, of the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we go into Second Peter chapter 1, where, again, it's talking about salvation. His divine power has given us everything required for life and for godliness through the knowledge, epinosis, a head knowledge and, and a relational experience with Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us the very great and precious promises that through them you may share in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Again, it's the opposite of what he's saying that these false teachers are leading people to. That they were having this relationship with God uh, after escaping uh, the world being entangled by those desires uh, and then going back uh, in a willful way that is casting off the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, and choosing as a dog to return to its own vomit. Now, when we look at verses like this, uh, I think there's a couple cautions for us uh, as we follow the text. Uh, the first one is that we come to passages like this, uh, and here it is clearly saying uh, that there are those who have had an epinosis relationship, that, that knowledge of who Jesus is, but also that relational connection with him, uh, that they are able to lose or, or become entangled again and in doing so, at the day of judgment, their state or, or the judgment against them, the punishment is actually worse than if they'd never been Christian at all. And so one of the dangers in looking at this uh, is to come with uh, different frameworks that have been constructed by mankind in order to explain the Scriptures. And some of those will, will make an argument that, that once you're saved, you're always saved. And in doing so, you look at this passage, and if you're coming to that with that, that lens of saying, well, we're saved and God will always keep us because we're saved, and there are verses, like in Galatians, where it talks about, okay, now that you've been saved, is it by your own efforts that you continue on in your salvation? Absolutely not. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we look at it just through that lens, we will miss the warning within this passage. A warning to examine ourselves. To realize that there is a danger for those of us who consider Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we want to examine that warning and not ignore it. Because there is a real danger, as Peter is ex explaining here. It would be like walking up to the Grand Canyon. I've never been there, but I'm, I'm envisioning that there's got to be a rail somewhere. Right? Or, or I, I've been to Niagara Falls, right? And I know there's a rail at Niagara Falls. And you're kind of sitting there and you're seeing millions of gallons of water going over the edge. Uh, and you're just kind of sitting there and, and learning these stories about people who would do it in barrels. I, uh, I don't know what they were thinking. They weren't. <laughs> hey, Ma, watch this. No. 
Anyways, so it would be as though uh, we're walking up. Here's this warning in Scripture, and if we're coming to it with a lens that, that dismisses it in our mind without allowing the warning uh, to enter into our hearts, hearts, it'd be like walking up to Niagara Falls, uh, ignoring all the fencing, uh, and just saying, yeah, there's no warning, I'm safe, I'm okay. But one inch too far is disastrous. And that's why we cannot, we cannot uh, water down these warnings within Scripture. Because they're there to guard us. They're there to make sure that we're examining our lives uh, and that we are submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ as, as Lord. That we allow conviction that to, to bring us to repentance. The second error as we look at passages like this uh, is condemnation. So the first one is, is to lighten it and say, oh, this really doesn't apply to me. Uh, on the other side is to sit there and to allow our enemy to condemn us for our actions and every little mistake that we make. You know, I wasn't the kindest to my wife yesterday. I'm a terrible husband. I'm just a failure. How can I call myself a Christian if I treated her this way? And we allow those lies to, to crush us and weigh down on us. That's not what Peter is talking about in this passage. He's talking about people who will willingly disavow the lordship of Jesus Christ. That it is an active choice of rebellion to say, you know what, what he gave to us, and clearly he says all scripture is inspired, um, but not this one, not that one. Let's make our own Bible. It's not talking about the, the conviction that's made to, to lead us to repentance. And, and so what happens is, is the enemy will actually take some of that conviction uh, that it just meant for us to repent. I didn't treat my wife in, in a good way yesterday. That Lord, forgive me and honey, forgive me. And then let me walk forward in the love that Christ has given to me. In that, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we look at uh, our obedience and we seek uh, we cannot be perfect as Jesus Christ was perfect and that's why we needed him to die in our place because it's his righteousness that we find covering us it's his perfect obedience that covers and pays for our sins and so we cannot uh, fall on either end of this. Uh, and so for us this morning, today, we need to make sure uh, that we recognize the warning. And so within the warning, well, first of all, we need to consider uh, just how weak we are. We cannot do anything good or resist any temptation any more than we're strengthened by God. We cannot do it within our own strength. Which is why we need to abide in Him. If we neglect the abiding in Jesus Christ, then as we find temptations, we face them within our own strengths. And we may, by some semblance of willpower, kind of ignore them for a while. But we cannot do it within our own strength. We need to do it anchored within Him. With these warnings, we need to recognize that we're exposed uh, to multiple temptations. There's not anything in this world, no, no matter how good or innocent it may be in of itself, that cannot become a trap for sin to us. It, it could be food. 
Food is good. We, we need food within our lives, and yet we can fall into the sin of gluttony and excess or using it as an idol. Uh, I remember as a kid when I felt stressed out, I would hop on my bike, I would bike over to the grocery store, I would buy uh, a pack of the red Chips Ahoy cookies. The, the chewy ones, not the crispy, the chewy, the chewy's better. Um, but I would eat the whole package in one sitting. Um, and that's how I coped with things. It was an idol to me. It could be clothing. If our life is focused on how we look or how our appearance is for others, we could use clothing uh, as an idol or as a sense of our identity. It could be family. Family is a gift from God. Absolutely. But it can be twisted and distorted into an idol within our life if we put it higher than Jesus Christ be our friends, our home, our car, any number of things. Uh, and Scripture tells us that people will shipwreck their faith. Uh, it uses that word specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, but then in verse, uh, chapter 4 it says, uh, the Spirit explicitly says. So as Paul's writing to Timothy, he's saying, the Spirit... The Holy Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. And so again, it's pointing out here that this false teaching, the source of it is through the teaching of demons that are, that are looking to draw people away from a faithful obedience to God and they use the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences have been seared to the point where they're ignoring the conviction of God and the Holy Spirit and choosing to say, that doesn't make sense to me why God would forbid this. Love is love. So it's okay. And in doing so, misleading millions. They are defeated by the deceit of the world. And so we need to look at these warnings and examine the areas of our life. In what areas uh, are we being defeated by things of the world? Where are the idols within our lives? Again, this is not to the extent if we're a believer in Christ, it's not saying that if we have idols within our life, we have things that we lean on or trust in greater than Jesus Christ, that, that now it's worse for us than before we were Christians. He's not saying that because we haven't sat there and said, yeah, I rebel. I'm on my own now. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit, as we are in Jesus Christ, says, well, you've kind of made an idol of your family. Now here's the choice. Do we rebel and say, you know what, that's okay, I'm fine with that. Love is love, family is great. Or do we say, Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing this conviction to my life. Please forgive me for lifting this up above the name of Jesus Christ. I do not want to neglect my family, but I want you to be my Lord. And so I will follow after you with all my heart, all my mind, and all my strength. And as I do so, would you lead me to faithfully minister to my family and love them as you would live them. It's a matter of putting Jesus Christ first. And as long as we allow and respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there is no condemnation. This warning calls us just to examine and say, where are these idols? And let's get rid of them. Let's cast them out. 
so that we can follow after Jesus. And again, that second uh, error that we can make uh, is that sense of condemnation now. We start to look at our failures. We start to look at the different lies that Satan would throw at us to try and weigh us down or to make us feel like failures and in doing so to say that we're outside of the love of God. It's not true. We're outside. We, we become entangled in the world. It doesn't mean that God isn't loving us anymore, but, but in doing so, if we have rebelled against him after knowing what truth is, what his love is, what his grace is, Imagine how hard our hearts would be to do such a thing. How seared our consciences would have to be if after knowing the love of God that frees us from sin for all of eternity and then to cast it aside. To ignore it completely. To know that God spoke all things into existence by the word of his mouth. That the stars that we look up in the sky to the smallest ants trying to find scraps of food. And that in all of this existence that he loved you so much that he willingly came down to earth to die and suffer in your place. And then for you to re-crucify him by denying that and saying thanks but no thanks. I think this is better. How hard would our hearts have to be to do that? But Satan will lie to us and say that these little mistakes, these little things that we struggle in and the Holy Spirit's still working on, bring us to repentance and changing, that he's completing the work that he began, we see in Philippians. I mean, it's the very promise of sanctification is that here we are rescued from death and sin. And now from that moment of salvation, we're walking towards eternity with Jesus Christ and he's working in us every step of the way. And yet the enemy would say like all these little things that we're struggling through and we're casting off would be failures in God's eyes. It's simply not true. Because the world is no longer overcoming us. It's no longer conquering us. If you notice in, in Second Peter, that's what happened to those who fell away. They were overcome. They, they were conquered by the things and cares of the world. Where the Christian who is walking and struggling through their sins and finding repentance and heading towards Christ, the world is not overcoming them because they're abiding in the Holy Spirit and walking with Him through all things. And in doing so, being more than conquerors. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, or, or in other words, uh, our imperfect obedience to it, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh or in the form of a human being as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement, which is perfect obedience, which we could not do in of ourselves, that the law's requirement of perfect obedience would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now it's fulfilled in us because Christ did it for us. 
For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. And in doing so, that's why they're misled by these false teachings and springs without water. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit and continue to walk towards Jesus Christ, allowing the work of the Holy Spirit within them. Verse 35 then says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long, we're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, meaning demons, false teachers, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We look at passages like 2 Peter and take the warning, we examine ourselves in order to tear down and cast out idols as we're faithful to Christ. And as we are in Him and in His love, nothing can separate us and we find ourselves more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It's only by being in Him. It is grace. It is mercy. It is His strength and not ours. It's by His Spirit and not by our might in any way. And those that are following the false teaching are trying to say, well, it's our wisdom. It's our might. It's our way. And so all we have to do is just stay close to Jesus. And so this morning, uh, what we're going to do uh, out of the message here is to partake in communion. Communion is this tangible representation of us partaking in the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. That, that we are in Him. That it was His flesh that was bruised and pierced. And that it was His blood that was poured out for our sins. That it was His work that accomplished what was needed for our forgiveness. And it's His continued work that transforms us moment by moment as we follow Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, says, Now that they were eating, Jesus said, or took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat this, this is my body. And as we take this, we proclaim that we belong to the body of Christ. He had taken a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, it's not our efforts. It's not our strength that earns God's forgiveness. It is the blood of Christ poured out in grace and mercy that holds us and keeps us in him. So as we partake of it, we acknowledge the forgiveness of our sins.
Father, we come before you this morning. And I thank you for these passages. These passages that as we read them are heavy and that by your Spirit lead us to confront things within ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we uh, read these passages, as we reflect on them through this week, uh, that we would not easily dismiss them or water them down, thinking that we are simply secure in your love, because you inspired these very passages to be in here as a warning for us to examine ourselves. To see if you truly are our Lord. Where we submit all areas of our life to you. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work within us. Would you reveal areas of our hearts and our minds and our lives that we are resistant to your work or hardened. We pray that you would soften. We thank you that you've given us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. But as you reveal these areas, uh, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, help us to be humble, to submit, to walk in repentance, but also in love, in mercy, in grace, and in confidence that you have already accomplished the work that was necessary. We thank you for your love. And Father, also as we go forward from here, I pray that you would protect us from the lies of the enemy that would condemn, that would seek to crush us, to steal, kill, and destroy the identity that you purchased with your blood, that would make us less than what you created us to be. Father, forgive us for listening to these things for allowing them to create doubts in our minds of our place before you that was secured by the work of Christ and not our own. And help us just humbly abide in you, constantly checking to make sure that we follow you as Lord. We pray this in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand as we go into our closing worship this morning. If uh, going through this passage, uh, message at all this morning, there are things that you would like to talk to somebody about or have prayer for, I would like to remind you we do have a prayer room uh, out the door and to the right, and we've got a team there uh, that would love to pray with you for uh, this or any other need that you may have, whether it's physical, financial, emotional. Um, God works in miraculous ways. Other than that, let's praise and worship our God and Savior.
just, um, I just feel like there's something uh, important that needs to be said, and that is, if you are in a pattern of sin, or you're continuing to sin, don't take this sermon as condemnation, but rather, there is scripture that talks about even the woman at the well, who was, Jesus said, now go and sin no more. And, and there's many times where Jesus just wants us to bring these things to him. He still calls sin, sin. He still calls everything out. But this doesn't mean that we just reject the fact that grace is still out there. So don't swing all the way to that side where you forget that Christ died for you, and he loves you, and he's calling you and drawing you back. And But at the same time, we call sin, sin. We call out untruth. And we want to live according to scripture and according to the gospel. And part of that is caring for each other enough to call out each other when we know and being accountable to each other and being willing to look and evaluate your own life and your own heart. So this isn't one or the other. It's grace and true grace. I mean, Paul talks about uh, where he says, so do we go on sinning that grace may abound even more? Certainly not. And so we don't give up on grace. It's that God's grace will lead us to the place where we're evaluating our own hearts, our own lives, and by his spirit, he cleanses us and gives us the opportunity to repent of our sins. So I encourage you, if you're caught in a pattern of sin and condemnation, go get prayed for. Run to God with that. Show God uh, to wide open. I'm an open book. This is what I am. This is who I am. I'm struggling with uh, sin. Or even I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling to see your goodness in the middle of all the chaos or being grateful for what we have. We have a lot. And God is so good that he gives us his opportunity. But I just, especially as we're singing this song, with breath that brings the dead to life, with words that pierce the dark with light, only by the blood of Christ are we set free. With mercy strong to carry shame. That's Jesus' mercy when we run to him instead of away from him. So anyway, let's sing.